Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South Podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, do you know the song, I Will Remember You, by Sarah McLachlan? Of course. Great song. Unbelievable song. Hated it at the time. <laughs> it has aged like a fine wine. It has. But I thought of that because the Alliance is dead. The Alliance is dead. What would you say would be the highlights of the Alliance so far? <laughs> if you're going to do the In Memoriam. <laughs> it, it, the, the In Memoriam is simply the screenshot of them on the Zoom call wherein they looked into each other's eyes mm -hmm. and they talked about all the things that they were going to do, walk step for step with one another into this new era, this new world of college football. It died a painful death on Thursday. Mm -hmm. Massive, massive news. Uh, John Wilner reported that USC and UCLA are planning on joining the Big Ten as early as 2024. Hasn't been finalized yet, but this feels really, really similar to the news that we got last year from the Houston Chronicle that Oklahoma and Texas were joining the SEC. We found that out at SEC Media Days, and it feels like this is finally, finally the response to that move, not adding Iowa State and Kansas, but adding USC and UCLA to the Big Ten. Geography is also dead. I didn't think it was really alive to begin with when we've got Nebraska and Rutgers playing conference games. Nobody mm -hmm. ever talks about the fact that Miami and Boston College play conference games, and people just say that that's totally okay. But there was a lot of there were a lot of people really complaining about geography because we're officially coast to coast for the first time at the Power Five level, so that's kind of crazy. Mr. Worldwide. I don't know what the Pitbull reference was for. Listen, it's, they're bi-coastal now, okay? They're not centrally located. They're across, it's, you know, they're international businessmen, okay? They are very national. <laughs> so far, that is international. You know, man, sometimes a trip to, you know, Ireland in there, I don't know. <laughs> I'll just go with it, that's fine. Divisions also dead, um, but I, I just love the fact that USC and, and Rutgers are going to be in the same conference, or at least that's what it appears. Um, on, on a serious <clears throat> note, if this move is indeed finalized, huge boost for the Big Ten on a variety of levels. There's the money sense, of course, from the TV market. Like you get, you add LA, and there are a lot of people who say, "Oh, they don't care necessarily about college football and whatnot," but. <laughs> The Big Ten added Rutgers and got the New York market, and they still justify that by saying, oh, hey, we get the New York market. We get all those extra eyeballs. Take that for what you will. But there are the three biggest markets in terms of TV in the country that now belong to the Big Ten with L.A., Chicago, and New York. Who could forget about Chicago's Big Ten team, Northwestern? Not us. Cannot forget about them. Yeah, none of us could. Speaking of Dublin. Um, so you add USC. The favorite in the clubhouse probably of the former Giants that are ready to explode again. Even though I don't necessarily think it's as imminent as some do, I think it's going to be a little bit tougher to Lincoln, for Lincoln Riley to get those defensive players in there, and that's going to be a work in progress. That is still the leader in the clubhouse there. We expect them to have a big, big impact in NIL. They kind of already are with the way the transfer portal is working. But there are now 32 of 64 Power 5 teams, excluding Notre Dame, which we're going to get to them in a second, that are set to be either in the Big Ten or the SEC by the middle of the decade. That's half. Mm -hmm. Okay, Super conferences are forming. We'll see what the final super conferences look <clears throat> like. But this sport right now is going through more change than it ever has. 
college football is not used to going at a pace like the one it is currently at. It feels like all of this jockeying right now, which is something that Matt Hayes has come on this podcast and talked about a lot, is getting ready for pay for play. Getting the biggest piece possible of a TV contract and going into the pay for play era, which is coming probably in the latter half of the decade, mm -hmm. in case we're not already there already with whatever NIL is, and being able to finance that. And that's what this is all about. You could say, this sucks. I hate the fact that college football is gonna look so different in the middle of the decade. For many reasons, I, I get why there is that frustration, but this is all about money. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's what this comes down to. The Big Ten is negotiating that next TV contract. That's why the timing of this, that's why it came out when it did. Yeah. If you're the Big Ten, you now get to go back to the negotiating table and say, we have USC, we have UCLA, let's make this thing go. If you're not getting that $100 million revenue check per school, like the Big Ten and the SEC schools are going to be getting at some point in the 2020s, good luck being able to, to hang around. Mm -hmm. Good luck. Good luck being able to acquire talent. Good luck being able to build up your facilities. Good luck being able to actually rise to the top. I'm going to do the unpopular thing and tip my cap to Kevin Warren. Okay. I haven't done that very much. <laughs> Lad of the week, Kevin Warren. We're going to get there. <laughs> we got a great show lined up, by the way. We got Hester joining us in a bit. We're going to talk about why uh, Arkansas is America's team. We're going to talk about fireworks and figuring out we've got a lad of the week as well. We got a lot of great stuff planned, so but we got to hit on this at the top. Mm -hmm. So... USC and UCLA obviously reached out to the Big Ten. That, that's the way these things work. And they said, we, we want to be a part of this growing market that you are currently coveting in the TV world. That's what this is all about, right? It's not as simple as looking at the playoff victories or the lack thereof and saying, this is why we want to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. But Matt Hayes, I thought, made a, another good point about how this, this era of college football with the TV contracts, if you're USC and if you're making... $30 million with the Pac-12, while Northwestern and Vandy are pulling in an $80 million check, <laughs> you're scratching your head going, what am I doing here? Mm -hmm. What? What? This makes no sense whatsoever. So the Big Ten answered the call from USC and UCLA. It didn't necessarily hang up the phone, laugh, and say, well, no, this is no, this doesn't make any sort of sense geographically speaking. They didn't do that at all. And Heather Dinich reported that the Pac-12 was blindsided by this, much like we found out last year, the Big 12 was blindsided by Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that, I wanna phrase this the right way. I'm not saying that the Pac-12 should have been on the phone with USC and UCLA like a clingy boyfriend. I'm not saying that. <laughs> That's desperate. Don't be thirsty. What does Quavo say? Don't be thirsty. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> we, got, we got some references today. I'm not saying they should have been like that. And we are, to a certain extent, when this came out today, the initial reaction was bombshell, right? It's not like this has been leaked over the course of a week or a month and then we find out that this is actually happening. This was a bombshell report mm -hmm. when it came out. But this is also exactly kind of why leadership matters. And look, I don't know if George Klyavkov, the new Pac-12 commissioner who doesn't even have a Wikipedia page yet, I don't know if he would have been able to do very much, even if he had some deep background in college athletics instead of the sports entertainment world and negotiating with media companies. And that's why he was brought in because the Pac-12 media contract was such a joke and he was the correction to all of this. Mm -hmm. 
But I don't know if this reflects on why leadership is important, why it's important to have people like Greg Sankey in power who know what they're doing and know how to pull off moves like this or to just be able to prevent moves like this and have the rug taken out from under you. But maybe he didn't have a chance at all because if this all comes down to dollars and cents, this was, the hay was in the barn mm -hmm. well before. What, what can you possibly do if that contract is several times over what you're going to be able to make in the Pac-12, and you can blame your predecessor for that. Yep. But tough to get duped by Kevin Warren, you know? <laughs> I mean, tough. it's hard to say he's not the second best commissioner probably at this point, like, yeah. Yeah, Kevin Warren, he and Jim Phillips, I don't know, like they're, they're just kind of sitting there right behind Greg Sankey. They're like, no, I want to be it. No, no, I want to be it. It's just in second, whatever second place actually is right. in that conversation, that much we know. But um, what does this mean? That's a big question. Big question that we're asking because this impacts a lot of stuff. It just does. It means we're probably going to see more and more schools hop on that life raft right now that is the SEC and the Big Ten. Mm -hmm. There are going to be schools that are calling up the Big Ten and the SEC saying, this is our case to join your conference. We want a piece of that pie. Whether or not those conferences answer the call and actually listen to those conversations, that's a different story. Remember, this isn't just about adding schools, okay? I, I, the Rutgers and Maryland thing kind of threw that off, but that was still the, the Big Ten trying to keep pace with the SEC, and that was what made the most sense for them. That was what they were able to kind of add, and they were able to give them kind of a crap deal, and Rutgers is like finally now fully vested to where they get a full uh, revenue check. I mean, it, that, like they really were like, hey, you're not going to get a piece of this for a really long time. <laughs> you're it's in time out, right? You're in purgatory until you prove yes. that you're not the worst college football team in existence, okay? Do not think you're coming in here and getting that Ohio State <laughs> money. Look at that Rutgers contract, man. It was bad. They were holding them by the ankles. But the beauty, and that was definitely a mob reference, shout out to Rutgers. But the beauty of this, if you are sitting in the position of the SEC and the Big Ten, you're going to have all these schools calling. And maybe, maybe there are a couple calls that they're gonna be making themselves. Who knows who's gonna pick up the phone and give the best possible pitch to Notre Dame? Who knows if this is what finally pushes Notre Dame into a conference, we've said that before, Lord knows we're gonna say it again. My guess, my best guess is that, and we saw the report from Nicole Auerbach of The Athletic, wherein she said, she talked to, she talked to somebody who said, look, it looks, it, it feels like we are going to be expanding into these two super conferences. So if that's the scenario, if that's the scenario, and if the SEC and the Big Ten are each going to go to 20 teams, if, again, nothing is for sure yet, a lot of moving pieces here, the Big Ten adding these four teams would make sense. Oregon, Washington, Stanford, who basically is a Big Ten team anyways, and Notre Dame, right? The SEC, Florida State, North Carolina, don't forget about Hoops, don't forget about Gene Chizik, right. Clemson, Never. Miami, those four, right? And I, I know some would probably say, well, what about Georgia Tech? Mm -mm, keep them out what, of here. <laughs> we don't want that. <laughs> wait, what, what, do you need, what do you need the Atlanta market for when you already have that with Georgia? Yep. You don't need that. Get the schools that move the needle for you. That's going to be the biggest thing. Don't add for the sake of adding, but add to be able to move the needle. So those schools, nothing is imminent. Who knows? That's just a, a pure speculation thing. But I think that would be, in terms of like the most even way to be able to, to add, if, if that's what, if these schools were going blow for blow, blow for blow, 
And that would be probably the moves that would make the most sense in terms of what they bring to the table, not just from a football standpoint as well, but you start to dig into the other sports and obviously the SEC wants to be able to improve from a basketball standpoint, hence why adding either a UNC or a Duke would make sense in that world. Hold on real well, quick. Let me pause you real quick. So, uh, and we, this all just happened, like this is not on the dock. I don't want to like throw you for a loop, but other than the, the spoken for teams, uh, the teams are still out there that are in the Big 12, in the Pac-12. Are there any that are head and shoulders above that, like, if you're, you know, the SEC or the Big 10, you want to make that next phone call? Like, who are the teams that stand out that you think are the most likely, that would be the most attractive to one of these conferences? Uh, Notre Dame is still the most attractive just because of what they bring to the table, negotiating their own TV contract. Mm -hmm. And that's what this is all about in the first place. So I, I think from that standpoint, that makes a lot of sense. If you're in the Big Ten, you should be calling up Washington, or you should be answering the call from Washington mm -hmm. because of that Seattle market, because of what they are when they're big. Yep. And if you could just dominate the West Coast, I mean, if you have, you would have the biggest, the, the biggest footprint possible on the West Coast if all of a sudden you're looking up and you have USC, UCLA, you add Oregon, you add Washington. Now, Oregon has the Nike benefits, of course. I think some of that stuff with Phil Knight's a little bit overblown because it's like, all right, if you're making all that money from Nike, then why can't you pay a coach? Why do your coaches? Because <laughs> their because their TV deal sucks. You, you know. Yeah. No. And, and maybe maybe there's something to be said for that, but I, I think those would be the most intriguing. Geography's gone. Look. Yeah. It, it just kind of is. If if we found out that the SEC was was talking to a school in the Pacific Northwest, it wouldn't be the most stunning thing in the world at this point. Yeah. But. That geography has been dead for a while. It is more dead today than ever. I think from the SEC standpoint, and there are probably people who said, wait, why would you add Florida and Miami to have three <laughs> schools from Florida, Florida in State. the SEC? Yeah. yeah, 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 my bad, my bad. Florida State and Miami. So if you're doing that, then what, what, isn't that, aren't you cannibalizing? Aren't you gonna hurt your, your school that you already have? To that, I would say, all right, then why, why was the Big 12 adding school so many schools in texas you know <laughs> yeah to have as many schools in the state of texas as they did for for that long it would be fascinating to see it happen i don't know that that's imminent obviously florida would love to be able to resist this there was all this talk about a m resisting the move to to have texas join the conference take take of that what you will mm -hmm. but i i think that's kind of all out the door at this point the sec has a huge opportunity with this next tv contract obviously with Texas and Oklahoma on board already, and it's going to be fascinating to see if any additional moves are made. Playoff expansion stuff as well. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that could be impacted by this. No longer, do, because of the death of the Alliance, <laughs> one would think that's the death of trying to give the Rose Bowl special treatment with this time slot <laughs> for the college football playoff and expansion and having this as like this thing that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are holding on to. I don't think that that's gonna be a factor at all anymore. One would think that expansion is more likely now with this, and if we're getting to a place with super conferences, the super conferences would rather have a field of 12 than a field of four. Yep. Just my thought, Yep. but there are a lot of moving pieces right now. That much we know, huge, huge news it was, and I'm glad that we didn't record at like noon, and instead yep. we're recording this at five o'clock. <laughs> yeah, I think of the remaining teams, to me, um, Oregon and Stanford is really intriguing, man. Stanford is a team that has a lot, well, they're a school that has lots of money. And one would think that they're gonna start to at some point be like, 
hey, <laughs> what? Because they're like probably they have one of the biggest endowments of any school in America. And obviously, I know that's not athletic budget, but when you factor in their famous alums, when you factor in like their cross sports kind of dominant, Stanford is the only school that I feel like you could add in any environment and it would make that conference better academically across like Olympic sports. They're pretty solid in basketball. They've had football. Like, it's funny because we talked about Georgia Tech and like different eras. Like Stanford 10 years ago, eight years ago, six years ago was a team that was a formidable team, but obviously they've kind of moved away from that. So I'm really interested to see if they get money, if they could be a little bit of a sleeping giant just in the, just because they're so rich. I mean, they're in Cali. Um, NIL stuff could be interesting there. But yeah, I think that Oregon and um, I think that Oregon and Stanford are there. And then you talk about Clemson. Clemson is one of the most interesting brands out there because without yes, it is. football, that and not to slander any Clemson fans, they are almost fabulous. Like they're not the biggest school in South Carolina, even. They're, but with football, like if Dabo signs like a twenty-year like Calipari contract, you could ride that into the sunset and build something. You know what I'm saying? But they're in a weird transitional period here, where if this had started to happen five, six years ago at the beginning of the Dabos or the middle of the Dabo stuff, I mean, it's like okay, like we could go somewhere with this. But now you're kind of looking around, like we've talked about, as dumb as it is to get into the weeds. That's like they lost their coordinators. It seems like they're sliding backwards. Like if you're the SEC, it's like what does that bring me? I already have South Carolina. I already have this. So it's funny to think about, you know, teams versus brands. And and one more one more point, uh, Notre Dame are sitting there. I mean, they got the best job in the world right now, right? They're in a great position right now. Yeah. They truly are. Because if they're not entertaining phone calls from both the SEC and the Big Ten, mm-hmm. I'd be surprised. And maybe, you know what? Maybe that's a two-way street. Maybe they're trying to do their own research right now and figure out what makes the most possible sense. Because... I can't imagine, I cannot imagine that 10 years from now, Notre Dame is still in a better place to have its own TV contract than getting a piece of what's being negotiated right now. Mm-hmm. And that's the I, first thing just, they need to do is go talk to NBC and say, all right, <laughs> so here's the deal. <laughs> you guys need to at least match this or we're about to open the bidding. You know what I'm saying? Because that's the crazy thing is that 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 third part of it, that's like you have the, I guess the Big Ten, the SEC, I guess they're keeping the same names, but it's like then they have their own deal that's like, huh, okay, let's sweeten the pot a little bit. So it could be a three-way bid-off for Notre Dame. Yeah, it, it's it's about adding someone who who brings something of value, and it's not just as simple as looking at last year's last year's standings yeah. or rankings or, or or whatever. And you are adding programs that you feel like year after year are going to have a chance to compete for a national championship in one of the big revenue sports. Mm-hmm. That's what this comes down to. Having a national fan base, huge. Florida yep. State's got a national fan base. All right. oh, yeah. we, we make our jokes with Florida State. I always talk about the worst hashtag mantra in the history of college athletics, do something. They have a national <laughs> fan base. That's all time bad. Yeah. It really is. Florida State would still bring something to the table. Miami with what they're building right now with Mario Cristobal, you would like the the prospects of that and what they're able to offer from not just not just from a football perspective as well, but what they have in Coral Gables with baseball and, and being able to be kind of this kind of on the rise competing men's basketball program. I, I think that there are other benefits besides just football with those four specific schools. Mm-hmm. But man, it just kind of feels like we need to brace ourselves for some dominoes. They're coming. College football, the way that you knew it three, four years ago, it it, it it will no longer exist in a very short period of time. It's still going to be the same sort of game, 
but it's just going to look different. There are going to be different dynamics at play. And right now, everybody is trying to, to get in the right position possible to prepare for this, this latter half of the 2020s. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fourth of July weekend. Technically, I think we can count that. Yeah, Monday counts as 4th of July weekend. Yeah, sure. We're going to long weekend. That's why everybody's treating it. Yeah. I want to tell you why Arkansas is America's team. An exercise we've done a little bit before. If you remember the It Just Meant More podcast that we did a few months ago for the Arkansas Ole Miss game, I teased that for our 4th of July pod, I would make the case for Arkansas as America's team. So today is that day. And when I say America's team, I'm not saying that makes Arkansas everyone's favorite team or that they've been that for the last 20 years. That's not that at all. I think that it's mostly a year-to-year conversation when it comes to being America's team that has historical context with it. I think right around the mid to late 2000s, Boise State probably had that title. Mm-hmm. would at least have a good claim for it. Then maybe like early 2010s, Oregon kind of took it. At some point, I think LSU took it over. Maybe For LSU had season. it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, maybe one season, maybe one. Um, but in the year 2022, Arkansas has emerged as America's team, and here's why. To be America's team, you cannot be significantly hated. Duke basketball is not America's team. right? The New York Yankees, Los Angeles Lakers, they will never be America's team. Shout out to my good buddy, Ricky, who loves all three of those teams. Those teams, yeah, I know. Ricky's a good dude. He doesn't come across as a guy who would like all those teams either. It's weird. Um, those teams are all in that spot because they have won significantly and they have a national fan base along with a large group of people who would say, my favorite team is whoever is playing them. Mm-hmm. Nobody says that about Arkansas. Arkansas's biggest rival is really debatable. <laughs> Mizzou, LSU, Ole Miss, A&M, Texas, Oklahoma. I... <laughs> I consulted with my three closest Arkansas media confidants, Phil Elson, John Neighbors, Ty Richardson. I asked them who they thought the program's biggest football rival was. Two responses I got right away. Man, that's a great question. And the ultimate question, they legit don't have one. (laughs) Just prove my point. Part of the problem is that while Arkansas has all these rivalry trophies, many of which are, you know, they're, they're sitting in the trophy case right now, Everyone else has a bigger rival. Mm-hmm. Rivalry week against Mizzou is manufactured, though I do think it's like sneaky good because of that time slot late afternoon on Black Friday, which is perhaps the most underrated day of American football that there is. Mm-hmm. Think about why that's the case, though. Arkansas came to the SEC in 1992. Your parents didn't grow up hating Arkansas. Or if they did, chances are they were part of the Southwest Conference, and that hate kind of faded over the course of the last 30 years without those regular matchups. So there's an identity element to this. There's also the fact that Arkansas has never been annoyingly good. As we sometimes see in sports, like with the Warriors, you can only be the fun, likable team for so long, and then we kind of get sick of you. I'd argue that the Warriors doing what they just did without KD kind of made them a lot more likable, but Mm -hmm. you you get what I'm saying here. For Arkansas, the last time they had consecutive top 10 finishes was the Richard Nixon administration. Oh, let's go. The term Watergate wasn't part of the zeitgeist the last time the Hogs had consecutive top 10 finishes. Here we are, guys. We are 20 minutes in and we're talking Watergate zeitgeist. I'm surprised it took this long to get a presidential reference. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we got one in there. That's all that matters. They've never won an SEC title. 
They've been there three times, lost all three times, 95, 2002, 2006. 2011 team earned the program's best AP ranking over the last 40 years, and it never played for an SEC championship. Speaking of that team, Bobby Petrino's last in Fayetteville, uh, the guy who is probably Arkansas's most unlikable coach since the program joined the SEC is actually more of a punchline than a punching bag because the motorcycle, the affair, the neck brace, the everything. So there's that element. You can't even hate their most hateable coach probably. Mm -hmm. It's not just as simple as not being hated though. You, listener of this podcast and Will, probably don't have any hate in your heart for Syracuse, Oregon State, Duke, Stanford, Cal, Kansas, or Vandy, right? Probably don't. Will? Run, run that, I'll find a way. Run that back really quick. <laughs> Syracuse, Oregon State, Duke, Stanford, Cal, Kansas, Vandy. Any hate in your heart for Duke, I mean, Duke a little bit, but mainly basketball, but that's it, yeah. Just football. Yeah, no, just, yeah, fo just football. David, cut clip, come on, man. <laughs> well, it's, it's a Mike Elko coach program now, so right. we're, we're pro-Duke, if anything. Yeah, right? To be America's team, you have to be liked too. I challenge you to find me a more likable coach in this sport than Sam Pippen. There's not one. Mm -hmm. He's number one on that list. There isn't an easier person to root for than the guy who literally has a hog fountain on his property. Numerous hogs. <laughs> multiple hogs. All he wants to do is coach Arkansas football as long as he possibly can before retiring in Hot Springs. Yes. That's it. You will never accuse Sam Pittman of climbing the ladder. He is the furthest thing from a Slytherin. He is as Hufflepuff <laughs> as it gets. Please do not give us a one-star review for me making a Harry Potter reference. Remember when he turned down Nick Saban after he first got to Arkansas to join Bielema's staff? The story that he told the first time that he came on this podcast about getting that call from his mom. From his who said, mama. I didn't raise, his mama calls him up. He says, and she says to him, I didn't raise a son who would commit to a place and four weeks later leave. He's a mama's boy and he's a darn loyal one. Mm -hmm. The guy agreed to an unheard of incentive-based buyout when he joined the program as a first-time head coach. He knew that he didn't have leverage. And even when he hired Jimmy Sexton to negotiate that new contract after year two, the incentive-based buyout was still in there. And it was very obvious that he didn't hold the program by the ankles and demand one of these insane deals. Didn't do that. Pittman's likability rate would have probably taken a hit if that had happened and if he had agreed to one of these $7 million contracts. Instead, that doesn't happen. It's all about the incentives with him. The guy delivers the program's best season in a decade. He retains both coordinators and he says, let's go to work. Sam Pittman is the guy at every barbecue manning the grill. That's what he is. He's got an ice cold beer in one hand. He's got the spatula in the other. He's got his adorable bulldog, Lucy, just at his feet, chilling. That's Sam Pittman. You don't even have to close your eyes and picture it. You just know that's him. Yep. He's not the life of the party, but rather he's the fun, real conversational guy that you want to have at every party. At a time when I'd argue college football coaches have never been easier to root against, I promise you cannot have a bad day talking to Sam Pittman. The man is as genuine as the day is long. In the two times that we've had him on this podcast, I always get, ask him at the top. I say, hey, is there a time that you gotta be out the door by? I'm assuming he's gonna say like, yeah, like 15 minutes or something like that. But he just says, no, I'm good. Let, let's go. That's mm -hmm. all he wants to do. He truly does have a way of making you feel like you've known him for years because he's the guy who comes across like your uncle or your super friendly neighbor who just always waves at you and you always are like, hey, that guy just always seems like he's in a good mood. Sam Pittman is America's coach. Mm -hmm. In a country that feels more divided than ever, I am convinced that Sam Pittman could unite in a way that few human beings could. I truly believe that. He is the guy. 
One of the things that I've talked about a lot with Pittman is the staff that he put together and the way that he's been able to keep it. He goes out, he gets a recently fired Power 5 head coach in Barry Odom, which I, I realize like, oh yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Why wouldn't you want to have somebody like that running your defense? But not a lot of first-time head coaches would be willing to do that because there's ego at play, right? You don't want to necessarily feel like there's somebody else in the room who knows kind of the lay of the land, the lay of the land more than you do. I think Odom is what up to like three different extensions that he's had to stay at Arkansas? Yep. A lot. They're just like, hey, <laughs> Sam Pittman goes to Hunter Yurichek, says we need to get my guy paid. They get him paid and they get that new contract and then that's just the way that this process has worked. Hold on, let's take a pause real quick there. Like, if you had told us, like, this was going to be a rising success, like, Barry Odom and Bryles, like, I know that, I know that looking back, it seems like, a, but Odom was coming off with some bad news at Mizzou, man. And, like, to think that he stuck with his guys, I think he did a really good rehab for both of those guys. I don't think those were guys that were just out there, like, head and shoulders above everybody else. I think that he made two really good hires that I won't say they're unpopular, but they were definitely, like, some diamond in the rough guys that were coming off of, like, you know, some, some different stuff. And I think that that's why they've been so loyal to him, because it's like they've all come up together. Yeah, that's a good point. That's that's a really good point. And, and Odom's stock was at a different place. And I think even though there might have been a little bit of this feeling that he was better suited to be a coordinator than a head coach, it was still a move where you just kind of don't know. He had those bad defenses with Josh Heupel as his offensive coordinator, and you kind of chalk some of that up to the complimentary football or lack thereof. Mm -hmm. But you still didn't necessarily know that he was going to be able to step in and kind of elevate where that defense was at. One of the things I think made Ed Ogeron less likable post-championship, besides like the wins and losses and all that stuff, you could tell it really started to bother him how much credit his assistants got publicly. Yep. He went from taking that discount and being all about the team to being the guy who kept saying that LSU's defense was going to be significantly better after Dave Aranda left for Baylor and Bo Pelini took over. There <laughs> Sorry, was he sure did say that. Bad take. That was the yeah all-time college football bad take. Yes, but there's there's ego at play there. Mm -hmm. If you read Bruce Feldman's book on him, it's incredibly obvious that there is no love lost between Aranda and O. And you wonder how much of that is ego, and that seemed to be the downfall of Ed Ogeron at LSU. So far, there is no sign of Sam Pittman having any relationship like that with one of his top assistants at Arkansas. And Kendall Bryles runs an offense that both your dad and your little brother who just plays Madden would love. Mm -hmm. Here's what I mean by that. You got the, the throwback style of a run-heavy offense. Minnesota's the only Power 5 team in the country who averaged more rushing attempts per game than Arkansas. It was the number one rushing attack in the SEC. But because of that up-tempo spread style, even your little brother who is just sitting there saying that everything should be Madden, mm -hmm. he can appreciate the nuance to what they do. And it's not that they never stretch the field and there's some like I-formation team who doesn't throw it beyond the sticks. PFF graded KJ as the SEC's best deep ball passer last year. That's the other thing that I think America can get behind. I said this a lot last season. I know I'm, I'm gonna repeat myself with this. I'm gonna repeat myself because I'm gonna say it again during the regular season probably. KJ just kind of grows on you the more you watch him. He really does. That's not to say that he's a perfect player, but he's the type of guy that you want to go to bat for because he's tough as hell, he's always got that chip on his shoulder, and he can absolutely make that high, highlight reel play too. What I think made KJ such an easy guy to root for was seeing that competitiveness on display. So many of these guys we saw in the SEC last year, whether it was Bryce Young or Will Levis or Hendon Hooker, like all these guys just have that competitiveness to them where you're just like, 
this is this is fun. And that's why so many of these fans, I realize, feel like their quarterback should be getting preseason All-SEC type of love. Mm-hmm. It, it felt like after all those reports came out that he wasn't in shape in the fall, he just had this chip on his shoulder the entire year. And it kind of continued into this offseason with the way that he's talking about the Heisman stuff and all that. What is more American than having a chip on your shoulder? <laughs> Nothing. That's it right there. A weight also, loss journey? Come on now. <laughs> true, true. What's more American than picking yourself up by the bootstraps and making a name for yourself? Arkansas was the equivalent of bankrupt at the end of 2019. Mm -hmm. You had this disastrous hire of Chad Morris. You're being tasked with forking over an additional 10 10 million bucks to a guy who couldn't win an SEC game. You had, on top of that, the lingering lawsuit with Brett Bielema, where the school didn't want to pay him that final $7 million because they felt like he wasn't actively pursuing top-level jobs. They were in a tough, tough spot. Oh, by the way, Arkansas is looking around at the toughest division in college football, having just added Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach. Mm-hmm. You're in trouble if you're Arkansas at that point. That's like the family who is, who's getting their house foreclosed on, and they're starting they're they're starting the process of trying to dig themselves out of credit card debt and it's just brutal like you have these scenarios in which you look around and you're thinking to yourself how is this going to get better and what does arkansas do doesn't feel sorry for itself it puts its head down it goes to work if you would have told anybody back in december of 2019 that arkansas would have a nine win season in year two with sam Pittman, they would have laughed you out of the room if any Arkansas fan had claimed that that was realistic when Sam Pittman was hired, I would have told them to go take a, go take a cold shower. Cool off, man. Chill, okay? But that's reality now. You've got a program that exceeded expectations, but not to a level that was, again, annoyingly good. Mm-hmm. For example, if you say after 2013, I want to become an Auburn fan now, or if you say after 2017, <laughs> I want to become a UCF fan now, you're getting a massive eye roll. You just are. That's, that's being a bandwagon fan. And you know, to a certain extent, it's understandable. Maybe you became invested more during that season, but that's just the way that it's going to be perceived. The beauty with America's team is that they belong to everyone. You don't have to ditch your favorite team. They're the free space on the bingo card. They're the team that you flip on after your team is done for the day and you get to watch them beat the doors off of Texas. They're gonna lose some games, But it's okay, because if they're America's team, you're not living and dying with every single play. You don't want to live and die with a team that's going four and eight, but at the same time, you can be good enough and still be America's team. You like to see them win. When they're on national television or they're playing in a big game, you find yourself rooting for them. Arkansas fans will welcome any and all aboard the bandwagon. Contrary to what Big Game Boomers totally scientific research showed, I have not found Arkansas's fans to be the most sensitive. That's just a personal thing. Maybe I'm alone. That makes zero sense because you can't go through Brett Bielema and then Chad Morris and be sensitive. That will beat the sense right out of you. You got to, like, seriously, like, who's coming after that? Like, don't be mean to me. It's like, buddy, (laughs) like, come on. Maybe, maybe talking about the stuff with always seemingly getting the bad, the bad end of the stick when it comes to officiating or whatnot, whatever. If that's your take, that's totally fine. I think Arkansas fans are fantastic, salt of the earth people, and they would be great people to lead the charge for America's team. They just would. Chris Stapleton said it best. Got to get down, got to get down to Arkansas, having so much fun that it's probably a little bit against the law. I did not sing that for you. That was never going to happen. Don't even look at me like that. Connor just tiptoes up to the fun line and he's like, ha ha, you thought. (laughs) You thought, you thought wrong. 
I'm not expecting listeners of this podcast to start calling the hogs. I'm not expecting them to end conversations with a woo pig because I realize many of you listening probably have your own sort of relationship with Arkansas, the program, and you have, you have a, your, your own SEC program, and I get that. That would feel weird for you. But there is absolutely nothing wrong with having a soft spot in your heart for Arkansas, or rather, America's team. Will, anything you want to add to that? No, yeah, I just love Arkansas. My aunt's a really big Arkansas fan. The way that I actually came to know Arkansas, one of my buddy's friends played on the national championship team, and they had a little Westie named Arky. And I was like, it was the cutest Aww. dog ever. And so like since then, I'm just like, Arkansas is pretty cool. The machinery years are wild, obviously. They hit Houston nut, which is always always a fun time when you have him. And then, uh, but point being, like, yeah, I just don't really have any, like, I have the memory of, like, the two LSU DBs running into each other, which is funny, but there's not really, like, a, oh, wow, those are really dirty Arkansas team. Like, really, we were mad at Arkansas today. It's like, no, like, they play for the giant boot that's really goofy. It's really fun. Like, I just, like, I'm so glad they're in the SEC. They're, like, honestly my favorite addition of the SEC, like, non-OG member. Yeah, of, of the ones who have been added in the last 30 years, that would be, yeah, a group of... I. I guess six now. Yeah, six including Texas and Oklahoma. Um, we're recording this at five thirty. It's the difference of the SEC. All right. <laughs> the, the other the other five teams that I considered for America's team: Baylor, UNC. Baylor's actually, you know what? Baylor's off the table. Okay, sorry. Go on. The Bryles era happened. Um, all right, let's limit it to four then. UNC because. Gene Chizik is America's coach. Right. Utah, Kentucky, Michigan State. I bet nobody listening to this had a strong reaction against one of those programs. I bet. Maybe a Tennessee fan said, no, I don't want Kentucky. Can't do that. Mm-hmm. Maybe a Florida fan. Maybe. But at the same time, what, I sh- what each of those programs have in common is not being annoyingly good not having this hateability. Baylor, I, I would argue, has kind of cleaned house from the previous very unlikable regime. And I think Dave Aranda's a lot more likable mm-hmm. than, than our Bryles. That's not really saying a whole lot. But at the same time, I do think there is an element to each one of those programs where they should be competitive, competitive enough to not be competing for a national championship necessarily, but at the same time, can make you feel good to turn them on in a random seven o'clock game where they're in prime time. You're like, oh, big time win for them. Good for them. I like their coach. I feel like they, they don't have this fan base that just annoys the bejesus out of me, to quote Michael Scott, and they would be a candidate for America's team. We'll see. Not everybody can roll with America's team. LSU, I think, would have been my candidate for America's team in the probably the, the, the late 2010s. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't say they've handled that the best. Not great. No, I, I'll say this too. I think this might just be a specific to us thing, but like, I I like a good dumb Big Ten team. Like, I'm a big Iowa guy. I love watching Iowa play. I think watching that style of football at like noon has a nice little soft spot in my heart. You're the same way about Northwestern. You love Northwestern, like no, not like you don't no. love Northwestern. No, I don't. Well, you no, don't I like don't. growing the grass. Come on now, man. No, no. Look, I, th- there is a certain soft spot I have for going to those games. At what was that? My mom used to, when I was a kid, my mom would always, it was called Dyke Stadium back in the day. Okay. And when they changed it to Ryan Field, for obvious reasons, there was um, a, like, my mom didn't call it that for a very long time. So I blank on when they changed the name officially to that. But I don't necessarily have that for Iowa, just with some of the Kirk Ferentz 
racism stuff. That's fair. I'm I'm saying like like just I feel like there's just a certain element of like dumb noon Big Ten. You know what I'm saying? That we're all just like okay, like this is kind of it's harmless. Well, that's not harmless. That's a good point. But it's like like those like middle of the pack Big Ten teams. I feel like have a very special place in my heart. Minnesota, but there are a lot yes. of people. PJ Fleck rubs people the wrong way. Some some people like him, some people don't. I think coach likability is is such a big thing. That's that's a huge piece of this. If you have a coach that I just don't want to like, if, if Illinois all of a sudden were to turn into a seven and five team with Bielema, mm-hmm. that would be interesting. Yep, that would be something where they seem very harmless. They can occasionally give you that random entertaining nine overtime was it eight or nine overtimes against Penn State. Yeah, can't remember how many it was. I felt I felt I was sober, but I felt drunk. Like I was like, is yes. this eight or nine? Is it twelve? Who knows? Yeah, you you were you were not sober watching that football <laughs> game. None of us were. Right. <laughs> that's, that's exactly that's what I'm talking about. You know what I'm saying? It's like anyway. But yeah, no, those are great. Those are great injuries for America's team. Let's kick it to Jacob Hester. I realized that um, since we started this format of the podcast, uh, January 2021, the only time that we've had Hester on was for 10 minutes at SEC Media Days last year. And I promise you, I promise you, that was not on purpose. We love Hester, so great to be able to catch, catch up with him, talk some LSU things, some Saban Jimbo things, and a whole lot more. So here is Hester. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is our good friend, Jacob Hester. Hester, it's been too long, man. Uh, been, been way too long. We got some catching up to do, but you know, kind of thinking about it, it makes sense when I see that you're just kind of hanging out casually with Patrick Willis, Phil Rivers on a Monday night, you know, so like (laughs) I I get it. Did did you and Phil ever discuss the fact that you guys could put together a full football game basically with your kids on the field? Uh, No, absolutely. We have. And, And by the way, you know, you haven't reached out to me since 2019. No, 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 no. Ever no, no, since no. that LSU shine wore off, you know, I guess. I got the receipts, haven't been buddy. on the guest list. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's, list. let's, let's back up. I have unres- I have texts from you that went unresponded. <laughs> I, I will bring them up. I will go to that saying I, I wanted to, I've, I've wanted to have you on for Hey, a while, don't let but... the truth get in the way of a good time, okay? That's true. All right, that's Just, fair. Yeah. That's fair. Okay. Uh, no, it, it is funny, though. So, yeah, Philip's got nine. Philip has nine children. I have four, so I've got some catching up to do. But it is funny. Oh, Monday night, I'm sitting there and you know, obviously, like I said, like he has a lot of children and I, you know, love my big family. want to continue to grow it as well. And like, he was my mentor in so many things, like even like the beer we drink, like he, he's a Coors Light drinking guy. And I'm like, you know what? I drink Coors Light probably because of <laughs> Philip. I mean, I mean, he really did though. And uh, all jokes aside, he really taught me like how to be like a husband, a father, how to be a professional, just all those things. And so I joke all the time, like in, in many things in my life, Philip mentor, uh, Philip Rivers was kind of my mentor in those things. Do you have a van like like his? Or is, oh, is it I, like have, a, I have a I have a twelve passenger van. Now, I will say this: actually, I had the twelve passenger uh, van first. So Philip actually got the twelve passenger idea off the Hester crew. Now his is probably just probably a little bit more decked out. It's probably got some amenities in there that the Hester mobile doesn't have. Because he didn't get that until like 2016, right? Right. Now, remember, he did have the SUV that he turned into a film room. Which is insane. I looked up which, pictures of that this yeah, morning. When San Diego moved up to L.A., he mm-hmm. stayed in San Diego, and he had the quarterback room on wheels 
where every single day he had a driver and him and Kellen Clemens, the backup quarterback, they lived in the same neighborhood. They would commute every single day. Now it, it is in Orange County. It wasn't all the way up uh, you know, to LA, but still, can you imagine every single day commuting well over an hour? I, I looked at the pictures and I thought I was looking at somebody's basement film room or something. It is, it is unbelievable. Like, it, it, I mean, everybody kind of build it as, Oh, you have all these kids and that's the way to do it. But um, yeah, being able to, 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 to spend time doing that is just insane. Um, on non Phil rivers uh, topics. <laughs> we uh, go, Hey, we can go 30 minutes on Philip. I mean, I do it. <laughs> the fact that he's an Alabama high school football coach right now just feels so fitting and that he yeah. knew he was doing that. Did you guys talk about kind of that, that first year coaching that he had? Oh yeah, we did. I mean, he took a team in St. Michael's. I think they lost 19 straight district games before he took over. And then this year they were like eight and four and competed. I think they made it to like the third round of the Alabama playoffs. And this isn't like a small 1A school. I think they're 4A in Alabama. They're playing Biger and, and Gulf Shores and Spanish Fort and all these big-time programs in the state. So it truly is amazing. Now, look, I, I don't know what kind of players they had and who they have, you know, came in or whatever that might be, but it is amazing what a, a coaching system can do for you. Like, Philip obviously is going to have the advantage whenever it comes to the X's nose every Friday night, and it just shows you, Hey, man, if you get the guys to buy in to whatever your plan is and really believe in the system, you can go out there and not win a game in 19 times, turn it around to an eight and four season. He seems like a fun guy to know. Just a fun guy to be able to. One of uh, one of the best, one of the best. There, there's two storytellers in this world that should tell every story. Philip Rivers is one and Charlie Whitehurst is, is number two on there. So a lot of love for the ACC here so far. It's, he's yeah, quarterback Jesus, right? Yeah. Clipboard Jesus. Clipboard Jesus. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Unbelievable nickname. I'm doing this thing this year where I feel really old because it's been 10 years since I graduated from college. Um, and you're, you're, you're what, like five? Yeah, you're five years 15. old. 15. It's 15 for me. It'll be our Gosh. 15th anniversary of our, uh, our natty this year. That's, that's crazy. And, and with you also 10 years since you last played in an NFL game, which I got to imagine there's an injury that you still feel um, maybe not necessarily from your NFL career, but from college, from your college career too. Please tell me that the injury you feel most is something that happened during like that eighth, fourth down run that you had in the 2007 Florida game. <laughs> oh, I wish I had a really cool story like that. I wish I could tell you that, you know, the labrum that I tore was like in that game. I wish I could tell you that I had, you know, a fracture in some part of my body, but I don't have a cool story. In fact, I have a really, really bad story of the injury that probably plagues me the most. So we're playing Sunday night football. We're playing against the Broncos. We're in San Diego. So Connor, you know, this, it doesn't ever rain in San Diego. So it was raining like a sprinkle situation. And, you know, they panic like on the roads, they panic. They don't really know what to do because it just, it never happens. My whole time it rained like three times in five years, but so the equipment manager kind of panicked as well because Qualcomm wasn't set up to drain. Like in the SEC, if it rains, all of the fields, the crown on the field, the drainage system, I mean, they're going to be dry like that. Well, not in San Diego, certainly not at, at the Q Nasty, as we like to call it. So, I mean, it had a little bit of water on it, so he panics. He goes and gets like those really long cleats. I don't know if you remember the old screw-in mm -hmm. cleats. I mean, they look like they're three inches long. So he goes and he puts those in all the skill players. I guess he considered me a skill player. Maybe that's his first <laughs> mistake. So he puts them in our cleats and we're warming up. And it wasn't necessary for us to have those long cleats. My foot gets kind of stuck in the ground and I could hear my plantar fasciitis just pop. I could hear oh. it. I mean, I felt it. I heard it. It's just 
like this loud noise. And it was because I had long cleats on a field that didn't need them. And that's the one that gives me the most heck still to this day. Like it's just, it's like having a rock in my shoe at all times. And so it's not like this epic battle where I had this, you know, hit you know, from a safety or touchdown run. It's because I had the wrong cleats on. That's messed up. I, I watched my mom tear plantar fascia playing indoor soccer. Like when I was probably 10 years old and my mom is just screaming, playing indoor soccer as a 38 or 40 year old woman, whatever she yeah. was. And she said it felt like some, she thought somebody threw something at her foot. <laughs> it was like, why is my foot doing this? This makes yeah. absolutely no sense. But when you kind of describe it like that, having the wrong cleat in place, because you don't practice with those cleats, do you? No, no, you never wear them. I mean, again, like the only time you ever need to wear those is if you're in like a mud pit. I don't know if you remember the LSU Penn State Capital One Bowl from like, you know, 2010 or something like that's the only time you need cleats like that. So, yeah, it's not a great story. And look, I was a fullback, too, so I couldn't rest it like I my foot was black on the bottom. I look like oh. Mr. Deeds with a frostbite on my foot. And I had to go out there and I they had like this special tape job that they's like, Oh yeah, it will, it will help. They'll put this metal plate in your, no, nothing helped. It was, it was bad. And so like practice that year, it never goes away. It was brutal. And again, not the best story, but that's what happened. So your kids are breaking your ankles pretty much every time now in flag football, <laughs> your kids are nasty, man. Like those videos you post, yeah. Like your kids are going to go viral very, very quickly for how good they are at flag football. Yeah. I mean, they, they do really well. They work really hard. And my, so the mentality that I played with it, it comes from my dad and my dad was a Marine city policeman for over 30 years. And, you know, he pushed us growing up, but he gave us the option. It wasn't one of those deals where you see those dads and, you know, they're making their kids work out when they don't want to. He would give me and my brothers the option. Hey, here's what we're going to do. You can do it or you can't. But if you, you know, if you want to do it, if you're going to do it, you're probably going to go places. Now, if you don't, I can't promise where you're going to go. And my, my brothers will tell you they didn't do it. And I was the one that did it. And I loved it. It was something I looked forward to every day after school. Uh, I've told you this before, Connor. I mean, my little brother would sit in a tire. I'd wrap a chain around my waist, wrap the chain around the tire. And we'd go up and down the interstates in Shreveport, the hills, because that's about as hilly as you're going to find in Louisiana. And I would just run with my brother in this tire up and down the interstate. And I loved it. I loved every second of it. Now, I don't do things like that because we're in 2022. Now we can get <laughs> the parachutes that Nike makes yep. and we can run, you know, kind of the same effect there. But yeah, we go out there and we do it. Uh, we do it three, four times a week. And, you know, for some reason, they seem to enjoy it as well. And I always like to brag on, on my nine-year-old Hudson because, you know, he's, he, I put videos out there for his birthday and the running back position is always one that you're either born to do it or you're not. Yeah. Truly believe that you, you can be the best athlete in the world. You can be someone that, you know, if we had 30 uh, events where it came to being athletic, you'd win all 30 of them, but that doesn't mean you can play running back. In fact, most of the time, nine times out of 10, the most athletic on the team doesn't play running back. You have to have a feel for it. You have to know how to cut back on a zone. You have to know how to hit the A gap on a gap scheme run, be it uh, power, the B gap on a counter, whatever it might be. And sometimes you'll try to put your best athlete there and he's running it to the back of his offensive alignment. He just doesn't have that feel. He doesn't have that read. My man Hudson, the, my, my nine-year-old, he kind of has that. So I tell him all the time, man, you're cheating. You're cheating because he does have kind of that – 
that feel to them. So it's just fun. It's fun to watch them go out there, compete, uh, you know, be competitive in something. That's the thing that you miss the most when you stop playing. I mean, it doesn't matter when you stop, whenever you stop, you miss being competitive in something. Like I, I always try to find something to be competitive in. And luckily my boys so far, they've kind of taken that as well. I'm going to talk to the recruiting rankings people. I'm going to make sure that we get Hudson number one overall, just like Arch Manning. <laughs> number one overall, and I guess what class would he be? He'd be like class Let's of see, he's going into third grade. Oh he's going into third grade. I mean, yeah, the rankings are so, probably. I mean, let me get the fingers out and toes out and start <laughs> counting here a little bit. Uh, he'll be better than the two star that his dad was. I can promise you that. Don't sell yourself short. Don't sell yourself short. You had, you had. I went back today and I looked at your. Uh, your 247 sports profile. And I I was like, wait, you first of all, I said you weigh 234 pounds, which I don't know how accurate that was. Did, were you a legit 234? Oh, dude, there was a time in high school, I was 253. What? Yeah, I was playing I, defensive I, end slash like linebacker, kind of like a jack position. I was 253. Well, Anderson. My junior, my junior year in high school. I mean, I was same height, 5'11. And we were playing Longview, Texas. And it was hotter than hot, early September, East Texas. And we had a couple of guys go down with cramps. One guy got injured. And I played running back in middle school. And they were like, hey, we, we had no receivers left. We were like a five wide shooter. You know, John David Booty was our quarterback who played at USC. Oh, yeah. And they're like, what are we going to do? And they're like, put Hester in the backfield. We're just going to have him, you know, take a direct snap from the center. So that's what we did. Like the old, like, like you're a personal protector and they're snapping it to you on a fake. We ran that like 15 times that game, and I had like 250 yards rushing. And they're like, okay, you're running back now. So I went from 253 to like 235 that year just because I was running all the time compared to what I used to. So, yeah, I was, I was carrying 253 in high school. Wait a minute. I'm connecting the dots. You spent a year with Saban. Then mm-hmm. Saban goes to the Dolphins. The Dolphins have the Wildcat with Ronnie Brown, and that becomes a thing. Are you Jacob Hester, the originator of the Wildcat offense? <laughs> I'm saying. Oh, man. No, no. We actually saw Ronnie on Monday. We were talking about that. It was me, him, and Kevin Falk. The Patriots surely didn't have a plan for that. I cannot even act like I'm on the same level as the uh, Ronnie Brown Wildcat. Or Darren McFadden, for that matter. Oh, Wild Hog. Love me yeah. some Wild Hog. Who doesn't? Yeah. Um, okay. I'm sure you talked about this on off the bench, which by the way, hosts with our, our guy, T Bob, and not that you need me to, to give you a plug for that and what you do, but, um, I, I'm sure you've talked about the, the conference scheduling model and what exactly is going to happen with this. We find out that the ACC is going with the three, five, five model, no more right. visions. So you're a good person to, to ask this question because, you know, a lot of people are talking about these annual rivalries like Florida and LSU and not wanting to lose, lose those. So you mm-hmm. need the 366 to be able to, to kind of keep that with three permanent three permanent teams and then having the six rotating home and homes. But, you know, the 177, I think, is becoming more interesting with staying at mm-hmm. that eight game conference model. Where do you kind of stand on this? And what are do you have a, a, an idea of what you think or what you hope the right. SEC is going to do? Well, I can see both sides. I can see arguing for both. I really can. We talked to a couple of coaches at the SEC spring meetings and some coaches that were in the middle or the lower half of the SEC in the standings. Like if you took a five-year sample, they'd be in the middle or lower half. And they made great points about adding another SEC game and how difficult that would be for them if you added another game to them. And some of those coaches played in the uh, SEC-ACC challenge that we have basically in the last week of the season. And they just talked about how, you know, how difficult that would really make 
their schedule and they pointed to the pandemic year and, and how they kind of struggled in that 10 game SEC slate. So I understand their points. You know, before I went to Destin, I probably would have said there's no way you're going to get that done, but it really did gain some steam. I mean, I thought we were going to go in here. It's going to be three, six, and we're going to be out. They're going to vote. And that's what we're going to have. But I think there was enough opposition that it's a real conversation still. Now, we could sit here, we could debate which one's better. Now, LSU, like where I played, it's a little bit different because we don't have a true rival. Like you could ask 10 LSU fans and you might get four different teams or yeah. maybe even five different teams. Like there's going to be some that say Alabama. There's going to be some old heads that say Ole Miss. There's going to be some the early 2000 Auburn. There's going to be guys like me. I would say the Florida Gators, right? So you're going to get different opinions on who LSU's rival is. Now, maybe like Texas A&M, right? Obviously that's kind of, manufactured over the last couple of years so like for lsu it's okay well if you go three six who are those three teams going to be just because it's difficult some teams are easier than others but i'll be honest with you either model that they choose it's better than what we've had what we've yeah. had has been awful it's been bad it's the only thing that the sec doesn't do at an elite level like you cannot have like georgia still not going to college station to take on texas a&m those two brands like that can't they've been in the league for 10 years now if it wasn't for the pandemic lsu would have never gone to como and still would be a year away from going to como so you're talking about over a decade before lsu played kentucky in this last football season the last time lsu went to lexington i was running the football yeah it was 14 year difference that's three and a half recruiting classes that never went to a place within their own conference that's wild to me. Like that can't happen. Like you're in the SEC. It's got to be on a better rotation. There's also been, yeah, we can have the argument, man, that has been beneficial for them because of the teams they get to play. Like, trust me, I hear it all the time. Now, I don't have this belief because I'm a meathead and I love competition, but there's fans like Ole Miss gets to play Vanderbilt every year or this school gets to play them. We got to play Florida every single year. And I'm sure Florida fans probably say the same thing about having to play LSU, right? So it's just been a mess. Now, you have an opportunity to fix this mess. Which one is better? I don't know that right now. I think there's pros and cons for both of them. We can all agree it's going to be better regardless of what yeah. they, they've had in the past. If, if you're asking me to place a bet, I'd probably say the three to six is going to win out. That just feels like the way college football and the power five is kind of going. Mm. The one to seven is intriguing because it's on a better rotation. But I do think you just have so many teams that have so many rivals. If you did the one to seven, I'm not really sure how that would play out. Like if you're Auburn, like you want to have Alabama, obviously that's the Iron Bowl. But Georgia means a whole lot as well. Yep. Like that Georgia game means a lot to a lot of people. I mean, we could go down the list of teams and Alabama, Tennessee is the one that everybody always kind of comes back to. Like, do we really need that game? Well, there's a lot of people that think you really need that game. So because of that, I think the three six probably wins out. But there's some coaches and some athletic directors that we talk to off the record. Yeah, they're gonna fight like hell for that one seven. And and I totally get it. And that was the point that I that kept bringing up during the the week of the SEC meetings is that I wasn't necessarily sitting here saying one seven is definitively better. And I, I am not trying to discount those rivalries at all because I mean honestly, like like the history you can't tell the history of the SEC without those great rivalries. You mm -hmm. just cannot. But it is at least worth worth kind of taking all of those things into account. Why did the SEC have to be the first to come out with, with a, a specific model? I didn't really get that. And the SEC has always looked at it with playoff stuff, but you brought up a key point there. It's going to be an upgrade. 
It's going to yeah. be better. I truly think that when we look back in college football during the 2010s decade, we're going to be like, wait, why did all these teams or why did all these conferences have divisions? Divisions, if you yeah. look back, every power five conference that had divisions, they sucked. They were terrible. They were so, the, with, the, with the exception of legends and leaders, which doesn't even get a pass oh. because its name was so bad. Yes. Every other division creation was awful. And it was so unbelievably lopsided. And for anybody that's telling me that the East is as good as the West, tell me then why one division has won 12 of the last 13 SEC championships. Okay. Like, and oh, by the way, the one that won was Georgia, who lost to an SEC West, even the national championship. So, yeah, like I, I look at those things and I agree with you. And, but it would be interesting to see how it changes history because. 2007 would you guys have played for a national championship if divisions weren't a thing because would georgia have been ahead of you with the same record that's a great question um i'd have to go back and crunch those numbers i mean obviously like we got in by the hair of our chinny chin chin and I, i guess now Tennessee made it to the SEC championship game, so we'd have to go back and and check Tennessee that out. Made but it. yeah, either it's way, it's a it's a it's a very very great question, and they can't take that ring away from me. <laughs> <laughs> so so don't try to go back in time and and take that one. But yeah, yeah, what a crazy year that was. But I I just think for so many reasons, like you mentioned, the East and the West. Now we could go back to the '90s. I mean, when I was growing up, the East was dominating the West. It yeah. was Tennessee, it was Florida. And those were the schools that were kind of the standard, but because it does go in waves so much, just make it all one thing, yeah. make it all one thing. That way you're all intertwined and there, there won't be this dominance depending on which division you're in. And the SEC doesn't have it in basketball works out fine yep. in baseball. They have it, but I don't know why they have it because it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. The top 12 teams are going to get into the SEC tournament. So why do we have East and West? Like wh- why is that even a thing? Right? So for me, it can be done. Now there's people at the SEC office that are much smarter than than I am, and they're going to figure it out. It's going to be great. I think the ACC did a, a hell of a job. Yeah. I sit here and I look at the three permanent opponents for all these teams. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, there's some that we could sit here and we can make a case. Maybe it's the most difficult, but there's none that's like, oh my man, that's a that's a gauntlet. Like yeah. every single year, like I looked at, I was talking about Virginia's earlier, like Louisville, North Carolina, Virginia Tech. There's some years that could be that could be hell. Yeah, but there's also some years like last year. That's not going to be anything. So I think they did a really nice job. I think the uh, ACC, you know, they took their time. They looked at it. The SEC has certainly been looking at this. There's nothing that the SEC can't do. Anything the SEC does, they do it at the highest level. We all know that. So now that they've had time, now that college football is changing, I do think they're going to come out with something. Not every fan's going to be happy because, come on, it is the SEC. But I think they're going to come out with something that is fair, that is balanced, that's competitive as well. Because I want to see, like, I want to see Georgia LSU. I want, I want to see Florida and Alabama more. I want to yeah. see all of these matchups. I want to see Texas A&M and Florida. I want to see Kentucky take on who, whoever it might be, Ole Miss, like whoever it is. Like, I want to see more matchups because – like there's a lot of guys that I sit here and I do radio with and I'm like, yeah, we never got to play against y'all. Like I was just with Aaron Murray last weekend and he was in Baton Rouge and we're, we're hanging out. I'm showing him around. He's like, yeah, I've never been here. Like, wait, like you never played in Tiger Stadium? He goes, no, man, we, we played That's it in the not. SEC championship game one year and they came to us in Athens. He's like, I've never been inside of Tiger Stadium. I'm like, oh, we're going to fix that right now. Let's go. <laughs> so I, I take him over there, but. It's just wild. Like I only went to Athens one time to uh yeah, 2004. I think David Green just completed another pass by the way, but that's the only time I got a chance to go there. I miss South Carolina. I hear that atmosphere is fantastic. Yeah. I still haven't been. It's the only SEC stadium that I've not been to. So, 
you shouldn't miss any games. If you stay four years, you shouldn't miss any places in your conference. And that's just going to balance everything out. It's going to make the competitive edge better. You're going to get better matchups. Agreed. Like sign me up for all the matchups that we just said. And, and there's going to be some that in the future are going to be matchups we're not even talking about now that are going to be great. Like there's teams in the East that I think are close to getting to a point where they're in the top tier, Kentucky, Tennessee, teams like that. So it's going to be better. I can't wait to see what the SEC does because I do, again, think the ACC got it right. You told me you were like a kid watching your parents go through a divorce with the Saban and Jimbo stuff. You were on that 2004 LSU team, obviously. You know both coaches well. Do you remember any sort of interaction that they had back in 2004 that suggested that there were cracks in the foundation? Because I never would have asked you that question before right. hearing this a month ago. But Jimbo saying that he turned down future chances to work with Saban after 2004 – sort of made that seem like there was a change in their relationship. Did you ever see any sort of friction between them or was it pretty much, Hey, we're buddy, buddy. We're on the same team. The only time I ever saw anything was if we were having like a two minute drill and both the coaches were on the field and you're going to get that everywhere. Yeah. A lot of the time, like I always said, Jimbo's the head coach of the offense. Instead of the offensive coordinator, because we, you know, Nick would be over on the defensive side of things and you wouldn't really see him if you were an offensive player, unless you were trying to play both ways like I was as a freshman and you're swimming in it, wondering which way is up, which way is, is down. But you just – you never really interacted with him if you were an offensive player. Same thing, obviously, if you're on defense with, with Jimbo. But when we'd come together, we'd have a two-minute drill, and obviously, like, you, you'd have some heated back and forth. But that's everywhere. That's every yeah. offense and defensive coordinator. And obviously, they're both big personalities. And every coach, every player, we all have egos. And so, you know, some of that's always going to come out. Now we would you'd hear rumors like well, you know why didn't Jimbo go to Miami? Uh, Derek Dooley went to Miami. Will Muschamp went to Miami with Coach Saban. Why didn't Jimbo? That was a question, but it never really got answered. But as far as being on the field with both of them, I never saw anything but respect between the two, and that's why that situation was a little awkward for me because. If it's not for Nick Saban, I'm not here doing this interview. You're not interested in talking to me because I don't know where I end up. I mean, Coach Saban had a plan for me. He had a vision for me. He never stopped recruiting me. The only reason I got an offer from LSU, as I've told you before, is because he happened to be at my high school practice and watched me in Oklahoma drill. And he gives me the offer, and so I'm great. lucky enough to, to sit here <laughs> and and talk to you and, and you know, you know, win a national champion, the whole deal. But Jimbo, uh, you know, obviously – he lets me play running back at LSU. I'm a two-star fullback, and he lets me work my way into being the starting tailback for two years at LSU. Like, there's not a lot of people that would give me that opportunity either. So it was it was weird. It's like I'm sitting here. I'm like I'm in the middle of this. It's like Nick's making his point, and then Jimbo with the rebuttal. How about the rebuttal? I mean, T-Bob like and I sitting in the studio, and we've got both of our our phones out, and we're watching it, and we're like making like meme faces at each other, like oh my god, you know, like. Did he just say that again? It, it was wild. So to ever see that, to for it to get to that point, no, I would have never guessed that. I thought they had a great working relationship. I thought there was a lot of respect between the two. I, that feels like it's gone now. I mean, you yeah. don't come with the rebuttal that Jimbo did unless there was something there. So I don't know when that took place. I don't feel like it you know, took place necessarily in front of any of us. Now, we know Nick's, you know, Nick's going to – he's a grinder. Like, he's going to be hard on his coaching staff. He'll tell you that. I mean, as far as like, there's always a misconception about what he is to his players. Nick's great to his players. If you work hard, if you show up on time, if you do the things that you're supposed to do while you're at LSU or while you're at Alabama now, you're not going to have one problem with Nick. 
He's never going to yell at you. He's not going to freak out on you like everybody says. Is he demanding? Well, yeah, he should be. He's the head coach at LSU. He's the head coach at Alabama. That you know, so he should be demanding. But it's just like when I played for Peyton Manning. People are like, hey, "How was it?" And I was like, "Well, yeah, yeah, he's demanding. You know why? Because you're not going to beat him in the building, right? And he's not going to leave before you leave. So if he's putting in the work and he's the greatest of all time, or one of them, just like Nick's one of the greatest of all time, yeah." pipsqueak the fullback you better be in there doing the same things because why wouldn't you be so i completely understand that i never had a problem obviously with either one of them but it was still a shock to me that they were going after each other certainly the jimbo portion of it i think jimbo actually implied that you as the last scholarship player that 2004 class for lsu I think he implied that you got a bag because he said that, you know, Jim, that guys have always been getting paid and yep. that, you know, that it's legal now. But he also said that we need to look into Saban's past with how he recruited. So you can kind of clear up the air here yeah. now that the statute of limitations is up and just say that you got a bag from LSU. Right. Connor, I thought I was going to have to pay LSU for me to go there. <laughs> So there was no bags being given to me. Hell, I would have taken a Caniac from Raising Canes, and that would have been enough for me. Uh, there, there was no enticement for me to go to LSU outside of me being from Louisiana and not being a dummy and saying, hey, if LSU's offering you, it doesn't matter who's there, you go. So good yeah, offers, I missed though. out. I missed you had out. really good offers. I, like, it, I was, it was like, weird. It was weird. My offer list compared to where I was ranked was it was odd. It was, yeah. it was very, very odd. I was like, why didn't you go to Miami? And then I looked at their class. I was like, oh, they had four running backs in that class. That probably was a, a, a really good reason. Why didn't you go to Oklahoma? Oh, why didn't you go to Notre Dame? And then looking at like all the different transitions. So it kind of makes sense that you held out well, for LSU. Adrian Peterson was in my recruiting class. And I knew one thing. Wherever he goes, I'm not going because I watched his <laughs> highlight tape. That's one thing I knew for sure. If you were not going to LSU, did you have, did you have a backup plan? Because you didn't even get the offer until what, December? Right. Yeah. My LSU offer, it was kind of, it was, it was a very strange deal. Uh, my LSU offer because it, it did come late, although Saban never stopped talking to me. So I'm, you know, you never know how recruiting works out. You know, was it like, Hey, is he talking to other running backs? Is he waiting on other running backs to commit, not commit, whatever it might be. I was actually committed to Texas for a very long time. And, you know, honestly, full disclosure, I'm waiting, I'm waiting on the LSU offer. That's what I want. I mean, again, I'm from Louisiana, so before that came in, though, I'm looking, I kind of fell out of, out of love with Texas. They were, hey, we're not recruiting any of the running backs. And then you go to this camp and four of the running backs like, yeah, just talk to Texas the other day. Like I have a full offer. Like, oh, like, just tell me if you're recruiting for the running backs, I don't care. You're supposed to. So like things like that weren't working out. And I'm like, OK, well, I'm going to open up my recruitment and. John David Booty was my high school quarterback, as I said. So, you know, SC, like, hey, can I get them interested? And then Miami, Brock Berlin, one of my other high school quarterbacks, was the quarterback mm -hmm. in Miami at the time. And so they were really interested. They recruited me as hard as anyone outside of LSU there at the end. So that was an option for me. Uh, for USC, uh, Steve Sarkeesian, he told me the story at the Senior Bowl. He was fighting for me. He was fighting for me. He said I was on the table, and they, they couldn't get – the guy who recruited the area to sign off on giving me the offer there. So the SV never, what? that never materialized and the Miami portion of it. So if you ask me who number two was, I would probably say it was probably Miami at the time. So basically Pete Carroll is the reason that you did not end up at USC. Cause if you had gotten that, or would you have just like, at the last well, minute, if you've gotten the LSU offer. Uh, yeah, once, once I got LSU, it was no brainer. Like yeah. before then, I mean, it, it would have been a real option. I mean, just because, 
you're looking for some sense of, of, of a familiar face. You're looking for maybe a tie there. And, you know, my hometown, like in, in Shreveport, Louisiana, if you don't go to LSU, well, you know, where else are you going to go? You're kind of wide open. And so like, you know, knowing that I had my high school quarterback, someone, John David Booty, that was, you know, in the future going to be in my wedding. We were that close. Like that's always very, very intriguing. And, um, you know, to go down to Miami now, it would have been also very difficult because, uh, as you know, I was dating my wife who I'm, you know, obviously married to for 15 years coming up this summer, we were dating in high school. So, uh, my father-in-law probably would have said that hey, we're not paying out of state tuition to uh, USC. That's yeah. probably going to get shut down pretty quick. So all things worked out the way they were supposed to. Yes, they did. That's for sure. Uh, let's close with a couple of, uh, current LSU questions. Um, I, I am uh, terrified of anything that can get in Keishon Butte's way. The, the two ankle surgeries, the, yep. the relationship with Brian Kelly, just, just kind of seems like there are a lot of things working against him. Sell me why on like, why he's ready to kind of be that guy this year. Yeah, I mean, I was literally five feet away from him in Lexington when he hurt his ankle. I mean, it was an incredible catch, but you knew it was going to be serious. So he had a serious injury. It wasn't one of those ones where – he got hurt. He's going to be out three weeks. He shut it down because he is Kayshawn, because he knows what he's going to be in the future. I mean, it was a serious, serious injury. And those are difficult. They're difficult to come back from mentally and physically. And you've always just, you've always been a guy that's always out there and always been one of the best on the field. And then all of a sudden, like you feel limited. You feel like, man, am I ever going to be the guy that I was before I got hurt? So I think Kayshawn probably went through some of that. Um, he's trying to come back. He had setback after setback because it was, again, a very serious injury. And then you've got this brand new coaching staff coming in, right? You lose, you know, have had a couple of different coordinators. You have a new head coach now. And that relationship, as Kayshawn was going through rehab, it needed some work. And Brian Kelly, like you mentioned, like he told everybody, he was like, no, we, we got some work to do. We've got to get Kayshawn back to where he needs to be. Now, I can tell you going to spring practice, he was there. Was he there in a boot? Yeah, he was there in a boot. But he was watching. Uh, he was around the program. A lot of rumors swirling that he was going to be a guy that put himself in the portal to see what kind of NIL deal he could get. There was never really any truth to that, having conversations with Kayshawn. So I, I think now he's finally back to a point where he is healthy He because he wasn't able to do anything. I mean, during the springtime, I mean, he's in a boot. He hasn't been able to do anything. So now he's going through that process of getting himself in shape, getting back to running routes, feeling comfortable, feeling confident that you're not going to have the same injury on every cut that you have. And so it was a process. I mean, it was an eight-month process to kind of get him back. But now, you know, you see him out there at the Manning camp throwing with Miles. Uh, he's around the team. He's set up for a big season. He's obviously the best player that LSU has, one of the best players in the country. So it's been a long process. There's been some ebbs and flows without question. I'd be lying if I said there was anything else, but it does feel like it's in the right position for him to go out there and succeed. We've both been uh, pretty big Miles Brennan guys for for a long time, but but I really find myself wondering if Brian Kelly thinks that he has his next Ian book with Jaden Daniels, which Nobody is going to make that comp because I think the first and only time we've actually seen a cross race comparison with people was people saying that Malik Willis was like Josh Allen, which, so that that's not going to come yeah. about. You're not really going to hear that. If I told you that you had to bet your green suit on correctly picking LSU starting quarterback, who's your guy? You, you wish you had that green suit. I, I really tell. do. I bring I that up every it. time with you. I can hear it in your voice. Um, <laughs> so the in book comp to me, is wrong for Jaden Daniels. Okay. You know why? Because I think Garrett Nussmeyer is Ian Book. Mm, okay. I think Garrett Nussmeyer 
like watching him. And I've gone back and I watched, I probably watched like four of Ian Book's games when he was at Notre Dame. And I go back, it's limited sample size for Nuss. I watched the Arkansas game. I watched the spring game. He's much more the same skill set that Book had. Jaden Daniels has a different skill set. Not bad, not good, bad, or indifferent. It's just a different skill set. It's a three-man competition. Garrett Nussmeyer's in this competition. I mean, he is firmly in it. When you went out to the spring, I mean, he kind of put himself in the in the territory of of you know being a starter. Like it was, he played extremely well. Now Miles was coming back as well from an injury he hadn't thrown in a long time. Jaden Daniels, I'm sure his head's spinning, you know, moving from Arizona to Baton Rouge, but. The thing LSU has to do, and they have to make sure that they stay on this schedule, when you get into camp, you can't go into week three with three quarterbacks. You can't do it. It's just you have to be ready. Florida State has a game before you in week zero. you got to be ready for that week one game against the Seminoles. They have to, after week one, cut from three to two. And regardless of who that two is, you can't worry about hurt feelings. you got to go from three to two, and then you got to the next week go from two to one, and that quarterback needs two weeks to be the starter, to be the guy, for everybody to know this is our leader, this is our voice. Now, how that plays out, anybody that came on here and, and told you would be guessing. I mean, it is a true quarterback competition. We could go back in the past and say, man, yeah, he looks like Ian Book, or he looks like another Brian Kelly quarterback that he had, or he looks like Desmond Ritter, right? A lot of people, because Mike Denbrock obviously was with Ritter last year. But I don't think they have any idea right now. I think it's everybody right now is on the same level. And I hope they stay to that, that time uh, table there. They do have a unique situation. The fact that Denbrock is a tight ends coach as the offensive coordinator, not a quarterback coach. So you're going to have a couple of different voices probably giving their input on who should be the starting quarterback. Joe Sloan comes over. He's obviously a guy who's had coordinator experience at Louisiana Tech. He was really close to getting a head job as well. He comes over to be the, uh, the quarterback coach there for LSU. So you're going to have multiple voices, multiple guys, you know, fighting for another quarterback to be the starter probably. So we'll see how that plays out. Sounds like you don't want to get rid of your green suit. Too bad. Oh. I really like my green suit. Now, if you're – I mean, look, I've, we're pulling for Miles Brennan as, as far as like the best that can be for that young man. Yeah. In a day and age when everybody transfers, I mean, he has stayed the course. Think about his career. He comes in his freshman year with a lot of praise, a lot of hype, Danny Etling's a quarterback. Miles would get in a little bit here. He'd get in a little bit there. He never was given the job because they didn't want to trust uh, trust a freshman quarterback. He does, you know, even that Troy game, the, the embarrassing loss to Troy, like he comes in, he, he actually leads them, gets a score there, and he thought, okay, here's the time he's going to take over, but they never gave him that opportunity. And then when it is your time, the next year, you're fighting for the job with Lowell Narcisse and Justin McMillan. Well, here comes a guy named Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow comes down from Ohio. He wins the job in camp, and they go win a Fiesta Bowl. We know what happens the, the next season, and then it's your time. It's your time to be the guy finally, and you're torching the three teams that you play. I mean, you're throwing for like 400 a game, and then you have a freak injury, one that was, was so freakish, the team doctors had never seen it. Yeah, They reached out to other staffs. They had never seen it. If he would have had the surgery – they said it would have been the Miles Brennan surgery. Like they would have named the surgery after him. He decides not to have surgery. Okay, I'm going to rehab it. Then you come back the next year. You're fighting with Max Johnson, and you have a freak accident. It's like time and time again, he's had these roadblocks in his career, and then Max plays really well. You put yourself in the portal because it looks like Max is going to be the quarterback for the next season or two. 
And then when Max Johnson surprises a lot of people and goes to A&M, you know, you're like, hey, I'm going to be back. I've been loyal to LSU. I want to be the starting quarterback at LSU. And, oh, yeah, he's been through like three or four coordinators and, and three head coaches. So he's been through it all. I mean, he has been through like the whole gambit of what his career has looked like. So you root for a guy like that. You want the best man to win the job. But, you know, you hope good things for people like Miles Brennan that in a day and age when it would have been very easy to not compete and to go somewhere else, maybe even on a group of five level, he's, he stuck around and he's still at LSU. So we'll see how it plays out. I mean, there's a lot of uh, different styles in that quarterback room. I think it's a very strong quarterback room. I mean, Walker Howard is a five-star freshman that's also in that quarterback room, but it's going to be a hell of a competition and I, I love it. I can't wait to see how it plays out. Last one for you. I want to be the official driver of the Noah Kane bandwagon. And okay. I realize that with your platform, your experience at the position, you're going to be given access to the driver's seat before anybody. So I guess I can live with that as long as I get to ride shotgun. I mean, that's completely fine. Look, if there is if there is a, a running back and he's doing really well and you want to hop on board, I'll be completely okay with that. Now, it's that that's another position room that's going to be interesting, right? You got John Emery. What are you going to get from John? John's been working his, his butt off for a year to get back to being eligible and to be able to be out there. Then you've got a guy. Look, we've seen Noah Kane do it. Last year wasn't the best sample size. The, the, the offensive line struggles for Penn State were bad. I mean, they were they were bad, bad. You go back and watch that all twenty two. It's oh. you want to close your eyes now. But there's also freshman year where he was a really good player. Uh, Armani Goodwin's another really good player. So you know you have an, a running back transfer out to Cincinnati, but you've got a three man race there. So that's another one. It's going to be very intriguing. Like John Emery has the skill set. He's got the talent. We just we've never seen it for a full season. Will this be the year? You never know. Yes, sir. You're the best, man. Looking forward to seeing you in a few weeks. Absolutely, man. I you glad to be uh, be back in Atlanta? How do you feel about media days? I mean, Birmingham, Atlanta. Mm. Do you care? I don't care as much. I, I look. I, I'm going wherever it is. If they they have it in Nashville, I'm I'm there with bells on. They can have it in Vegas. I'll be there with bells on. Doesn't matter to me. I'm not going to hate on Hoover. You can put it anywhere. I, I don't mind being between two belks. I don't think that's necessarily negative the way that some make it out to be. But Atlanta's fine. No problem with Atlanta. Love Atlanta. Let's let's be honest here. Let's just do the right thing. And every event should be held in New Orleans. Um. Yes. Okay. That's perfectly right. fine. No issue with that whatsoever. I mean, I, I've been I've been to championships as in college. I've been to Super Bowls. I was just at the Final Four. Am I biased? Yes. But there's not a city that is better set up to host events than New Orleans. It's a walking city. It stays open until as late as you want it to stay open. There's something to do. The food's amazing. I'm just saying, if if Commissioner Sankey, if you happen to listen to this, <laughs> go ahead, yes. put New Orleans in the rotation. At any place that has open container laws puts you ahead yeah. in that upper echelon, and New Orleans checks that box. Yep, No doubt about it, man. Pastor, we'll do it again soon, man. Sounds good, brother. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates full of You never know what you're going to get. Figure it out. We're talking fireworks today. Never have I ever purchased a firework. In your life? In my life. Huh? Are they like illegal? Like serious question. Like are they illegal? Are they legal where you're from? They're illegal in Illinois. Okay. So that's part of it. I, I'm not anti-fireworks, by the way. I want that on record. 
great in the right context. Not so great when it's sunny on a random Thursday afternoon and I still hear them going off and I'm trying to record a podcast. Not that I'm a bitter old man or anything, but... <laughs> get off the lawn. Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. I've never been in a situation where I've had to. I've gone to big events that have had fireworks and I've never been in a spot where I said, you know what I need to do? I need to go out, cross state lines, get a few hundred dollars with the fireworks and have myself a good time. We actually, I mean, the fact that we live on, we live in a cul-de-sac now, we're set up better to be able to do that if we wanted to, mm-hmm. but I've never scratched that itch. Never had that itch to begin with. I don't know. I, that makes, I realize I'm in the minority. I'm not saying that that's a totally normal thing. I think, I think, so you said there's no reason you've had to. It's like, there's no reason you've ever had to drink a beer, but it's just something we all do. Like fireworks. Are, that's a fair point. Now, but to be fair, smuggling fireworks, a little bit different than just purchasing fireworks. Like doing the whole like Smokey and the Bandit thing with some, some sparklers may have changed the math for me. So that's fair. Do sparklers count? I mean, I don't know. I, I'm just, that's an example. Maybe a, a, a Roman candle, perhaps. I don't think sparklers can count. If sparklers yeah. count, then then we're good. Then, <laughs> then that's not an ever have I ever. Right. I'm not I'm not willing to, to say that that's a legitimate firework. I, I think there should be no fireworks after 11 o'clock on 4th of July. And if you set them off at all, they have to be like the day before or the day after, but they just gotta be at night. Gotta be within that window, that like eight to 11 window, the day before or the day after. Nobody listening to this is gonna agree with me. That's That's all right, whatever. I say that it, I, I don't even have, I don't have a pet who freaks out. I don't have kids. Rudy's just sitting there asleep. He's like, I don't care. He doesn't care. If the raptor is here, brother, I am ready. <laughs> yeah, whatever, man. It, 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 if it gets me, it gets me. Right. This is, there's nothing I can do to control this. He's chill. Mm-hmm. But I do sympathize with all the parents <clears throat> or pet owners who deal with all of that. And I'm sure there are plenty of them in the Facebook group. And we're gonna, we're gonna get to those in a second. We don't have a an, like an annual main 4th of July tradition anymore. We used to do Red Hot and Boom here in Orlando, um, which uh, for those who know the Central Florida area, one of the biggest shows in Central Florida. And we used to live walking distance where they would shoot them off at Crane's Roost. Mm-hmm. And Lawrence PR company actually used to work the event. So they'd have a nice little spot carved out, which is nice because you don't have to go up and, and like get a spot at one in the afternoon or something for a nine o'clock show. That's not my thing anyways. But just between the pandemic, not living close to there anymore, that's rear view mirror for us. Mm-hmm. And with us being out of town this year, that's definitely not happening. I think the best way to do it is having a great view from your house of a big fireworks show. If you can have that, sign me up for that every single time. Don't have the burden of buying fireworks, which clearly I'm, <laughs> I'm a fireworks buying virgin. <laughs> you don't you don't need to go anywhere to do any of the cleanup as well. That's kind of the underrated thing. It's like how much that cleanup kind of sucks and you find it those little pieces all over the place. Just set up the grill, get the cooler, have some hot dogs, have some burgers, folding chairs. That's a good night. Mm-hmm. Don't need a whole lot more than that. Got to bring some bug spray, but I think that pretty much covers it for me. I don't need to make a big deal out of 4th of July. I'm not a make, make a big deal out of 4th of July or New Year's Eve, those two holidays for me are just kind of like, don't want to be in front of a massive group of people all the time. I think that's a little bit overrated. I might be in the minority. Will, how about you? So, upon thinking about it, I think that my mom got 
into real estate, into being a business owner, so she could spend an excessive amount of money on fireworks. My mom has told me <laughs> numerous times that when she passes away, she wants to be cremated and shot into fireworks. Seriously, that's her plan. That is incredible. Um, my mom loves fireworks. Like, I'm number one, my stepdad's number two, fireworks are number three. We grew up in the middle of the bayou, not a lot of neighbors, and I didn't really see how strange this was until I took Brittany down for like last 4th of July. My mom walked into a fireworks stand and dropped like $400. They gave her a cart to take home. She brought so m many fireworks. And like, I, my mom is a very good example of like, does it like not a criminal, doesn't commit crime, but like loves some good mischief. And fireworks are like right there. Like, and again, we were in the middle of the swamp growing up. We would like, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, let's take the old firework things and put other fireworks in them and blow them up. Like my mom is a pyro. It's like what I learned when I was talking to Brittany because she was like, do you realize this isn't normal and I was like yeah my mom just loves fireworks I don't know because Brittany was like Brittany's very anti like loud noises and stuff and like and it's funny like as my mom's like gotten older too like you know the thing of like you know you kind of like scurry up to the firework you light it you're on the way watching my mom do that like in her 70s is one of the cutest cutest things ever because she will just go down there scurry up her little flip-flops and then go ah and like run, <laughs> run back and it's like so point being I'm the wrong person to to talk about that with, because you guys know about the state of Louisiana, we don't really like laws too much, especially if you're in the bayou where they really enforce laws. So growing up, everybody was coming over to our house. We were blowing stuff up. We were doing like, and at my mom's wedding, she had a giant firework display too. So we are dangerously pro firework. <laughs> dangerously pro firework. Yes. How many people, your mom is definitely not in this camp at all. Mm -hmm. Not, not whatsoever. <clears throat> I would love to know the percentage of people now that buy a lot of fireworks just for the picture that they can post with the display of them. Yep. And and look like, oh, we're gonna have ourselves a great time tonight. I don't know how much each of those fireworks is blown up. I can't tell if you had a great time. You might have set all these off at 4.30 like an idiot and not had any fun and been able to see any of them. But you got this picture and you probably got a lot of likes and it probably looks like you're having a great time on 4th of July. By all means, go ahead. If that's your thing, that's fine. Do what you gotta do to make yourself feel better. I think that that's a little bit overblown in my opinion, but being able to have a parent that's just all in, you're in the best situation though. Cause you, you don't ever have to ask that question. Yep. What, what's, what are we gonna do for 4th of July? It's there, we'll it's done, that's taken care of. I'll say this about yeah. the picture thing. Like my mom, it's between her and those fireworks and God. I don't think she's ever taken a picture <laughs> of fireworks. I don't think she's ever let anybody know. She would rather people not know. So yeah, she's like the West Walker. She's a student of the game. <laughs> I have never had a Jason Pierre Paul fireworks. Oh gosh, experience. yeah. Too soon? I Maybe mean, too soon with that. Mm. <laughs> He's still making Look a good career up. for himself. Yeah, like I, yeah. the fact that it didn't affect him really means it's just kind of funny now, in my opinion. Like, very impressive. Mm -hmm. Look that one up, kids, for those who don't know what exactly we're talking about. My only fireworks <laughs> horror experience, and this isn't, I didn't lose a finger or anything like that, or at least you won't know until the end of the story. Um, when I was working in Nebraska, one of the things that reporters in a small news in a small newsroom had to do was take two different week-long shifts with the police scanner. Ooh. For those who don't know what the police scanner is, it's basically like a walkie-talkie where you can hear police officers communicating with their dispatcher. The point is basically to have these re reporters in a newsroom cover for the cops reporter so that they can actually get some sleep every once in a while mm -hmm. during these non-business hours and you just kind of rotate shifts um, year-round with that. Um, so I, I knew that at some point I was gonna have to do this. 
not a coincidence that my first time doing this and my first year was Fourth of July weekend. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, when you're working sports, you're already in the newsroom late at night. So I would just kind of bring the scanner in with me at the newsroom. You know, there was like two or three of us there in the entire building. So it wasn't like I was blasting it and you know, 15 people could hear it. I like, turned that down. No, it was just the sports staff working late at night. Fourth of July, that thing was constant. <laughs> everywhere. I'm kind of freaking out at this point too, because I don't want to go drive to cover some fire because somebody was being stupid with fireworks. If somebody lights their house on fire, I'm going to have to write about it. Building on fire. That's me. I'm going to have to figure all that out. I'm, I'm going to be the one that has to talk to the cops and have to go there at midnight or whatever it is. So that night we get one of these calls. We're like, we should probably go check this out. So I go there with my sports editor who was willing to, to come, to come with me and we went to two different random houses where police showed up because don't you know it, they had a small fire on their property because fireworks gone wrong. That's just the way that this works sometimes. Mm -hmm. Thankfully though, like nothing was really worth writing about. Nobody was hurt or anything. But I remember driving around that night and you've got people in residential areas in Nebraska where it is legal, just completely blocking the street and lighting off fireworks. So you're just trying to find any way possible to get from point A to point B. And it's, it's really, really difficult. And I'm not sure how much I slept that night, those few nights, because I'm just worried about the scanner and I'm just hearing that and waking up to it. But just not a fun experience. Not so much a horror experience, just like a, what's your worst 4th of July ever? That was it. No questions asked. To be a police scanner in rural Nebraska on the 4th of July, that sounds oh, like... Buddy. But I mean, okay, what do you think is the worst day of the year to be a police scanner? Because 4th of July is pretty up there. City of Chicago, St. Patrick's Day. Oh no, St. Patrick's Day is another good, yeah. Bad, real bad. No thank you. Couldn't pay me all the money in the world to want to work that day. Mm -hmm. I, I cannot imagine the, the tussle of, of being the new person at a police station and having to actually work on St. Patrick's Day. That would be unbelievably bad. Being a journalist would probably not be as fun either, but at least you don't have to interact with, you know, the extremely drunk people who are damaging property and puking everywhere and just getting way too carried away. But anyways, Facebook group, mm -hmm. got some great responses. I asked, do you go to a big gathering or do you do something in the neighborhood for 4th of July? Do you buy your own fireworks? Do your neighbor, uh, do your neighbors drive you nuts? Do you have any pets that hate fireworks and any fireworks injury stories? Doing injury stories instead of horror stories. Um, let's start with an injury story. If this is real, God bless him. Jay Woody, our guy. Jay says, I actually blew one of my fingers off with an M80. Luckily, since I'm an Alabama fan and inbred, these are his words, not mine. I had 11 fingers. So the injury just made me appear to be normal, finally. Hey, y'all, watch this. It's all right, I got one to give. We're good. <laughs> I guess a little bit of lanyard finger. We call that Louisiana. The, my uh, we, we, the fact that Jay didn't post a picture with this, come on, man. He's, Which he's, one was He's it? probably messing with us, but a JPP story out of Jay would be tremendous. And actually kind of believable. Just to be I can't imagine the list is very long of the people who have had a fireworks injury to go from six fingers to five. Yeah, fair, that's a good point. If you were looking to get to five, you saved yourself a lot of money, yeah. no surgery needed. So good on you for being able to do that. Probably a little bit of pain, but you know what? 
That's the price you pay. Uh, let's go to uh, Tiffany R. Tiffany says, we either go to the fireworks show in town or buy our own, depending on how much we want to drink. Very smart. We live on 20 acres, so no neighbors. My black lab is terrified of them. Horror story. Two years ago, when my then three-year-old wanted a sparkler, just as it was getting dark, I turned my head for one second and she hit something and the ember fell on her shoulder. Oh, my husband couldn't find out why she was crying until he smelled her burning hair. Ooh. Thankfully, she, there was a nurse at the party that helped us. Third degree burns, Sunday doctor visit, and a gnarly scar. And then that's when I knew 2020 was going to be a terrible year. Fair. There. Fair. Pretty bad for the few months before 4th of July 2020, but also fair. That would scare the crap out of me. If I saw my child go through something like that and get get like an actual legit burn, ooh, ooh, boy, no. Mm -mm. One time I got, I, I, my mom says I snuck up. I didn't sneak up on her. <laughs> Moms are so good at those type of stories too. It's like, I was assailed, I don't know. <laughs> She's boiling eggs in the kitchen and she had her back turned to the rest of the kitchen and I was throwing something in the garbage and she was turning towards our sink. Now, the way that this was set up, it was like the garbage is in the corner and there's the stove on one side and then the sink on the other. So essentially she's, she would have to cross the path to the garbage to be able to get to the sink to train her eggs. Nobody cares about this. She instead hits me in the back, boiling hot water on my back. I don't think I have a scar. I definitely don't. I don't know why I said I don't think I do. I definitely don't. I have emotional scars. There you go. I was about to say, not all scars are physical, Connor. So. And every single time after that, if my mom was making eggs or something like that, or if she had something hot on the stove, I was clunky and loud, <laughs> and I made sure I was not going to be light on my feet. I don't know if there's a lesson in there other than don't be light on your feet when your mom's boiling eggs. I don't know. Who boils eggs? Just fry them up. Yeah, there you go. So That's don't boil eggs. That's the real story. But yeah, this uh, this photo that Tiffany put in here is adorable too. It's your little daughter. It's very cute. So yeah, fireworks can just mean a lot of things to different people. But very sorry she had to go through that. Look, you know, rub some dirt in it, toughen her up there for for a long road ahead, starting in 2020. So that's good. SEC tough. There you go. She is already, just like that, as a three-year-old, amazing. Dave Cozart says, our dogs are absolutely terrified of fireworks. Last year, my sister and her husband were over with their dog and our neighbors to, uh, to the rear ended up setting some off. My wife, Holly, ended up laying on our stairway, landing with three scared pups. Oh, needless to say, we aren't huge fans of fireworks anymore. Used to love them as a kid. See, if this is your experience, this is the worst holiday of the year. Yeah. It's, it, it's rough. And like, I'm just from strictly a, a logistic standpoint, I get it. Like, so I used to be able to have fun and, and you know celebrate the freedom that we have in this country and to be able to just gather with you know friends and family and all that stuff. But like the actual when fireworks start and having a pet or a child that just wants no part of it, man, that's gotta be tough. That has to be really, really tough. I only remember being really freaked out by fireworks when I was like six or seven. After that, and I probably sucked for my parents to deal with. I was probably not fun. I was not having it. You want to throw the football beforehand before it gets dark? I'm your guy. Mm -hmm. we're, 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 we're able to do that. We're able to have a good time. I'll eat our, you know, the fried chicken picnic that we have set up. I'll do all that stuff. But when the sun goes down and those fireworks go up, six-year-old Connor was not having it. Mm -mm. It took a little while. 
How about you? You were probably just, you know, doing fireworks when you were in the womb. <laughs> Our 4th of July was a bit converse, probably. Like, as the hours started ticking by, you were like, ah, I'll like this day. We were just sitting there staring at the clock, like, how long? How long, brother? <laughs> you didn't have the premature fireworks, though. Well, no, you gotta, well, you gotta start with the chickens or the small ones that don't really do anything. There's a pre-firework firework experience, so you can... So you start off with the little ones that are just, you just shoot them at each other kind of and have little battles. And then once it gets dark, that's when you do the big fireworks. Do you set them off during the day at all? Do you get a specific batch of fireworks that you set off when it's light out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. The chickens, the tanks, those are real crowd, crowd pleasers. The goal is you take two tanks, you get two little contestants with their lighters, and they got to run up and light them to where they shoot at each other, you know? So you can play lots of games with fireworks in the daytime as well. That seems like a totally safe thing to do. <laughs> Nobody, Holy any kids, or anyone responsible listening, don't be like me, basically. Yeah, nobody's gotten hurt yet, it's fine. I actually have not gotten hurt by a firework. I stepped on a sparkle when I was five, but that's like my fault. But never got hurt by a firework, so not going. Buddy, you better knock on some wood right now. There you go. It's coming. All right, Nick Ruark <clears throat> says, when my dad was teaching me how to light fireworks, he let me put an artillery, an artillery shell in by myself and I put the shell in upside down. It blew up and scared everyone. Yeah, I would say. Learned my lesson that day. My dogs hate fireworks, so we have this thunder blanket my wife found and used that. Seems to help. Always go to a party, drink beer made in America, and eat burgers, brats, hot dogs, or steak. If you're vegetarian, this holiday isn't for you. It's truly, it's probably not. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of alternatives now. There are, more, there are way more alternatives than there were 10 years ago where Man, if you, if you were a vegetarian on a day like that, you're kind of just like, well, this is going to suck. If you're a vegetarian going to a wedding, oh, this is going to suck. Now people usually have some sort of alternatives, mm -hmm. but yeah, it is very much a day for the hot dog, burger, brat, steak crowd. I think we did, we did grilled chicken last year. I don't know why I did, did chicken. That makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, if you do grilled chicken a certain way, like barbecue chicken, I think it's pretty fire. Yeah, I did, but... I just remembered thinking afterwards, why did I do that? Why did I just get burgers or hot dogs? That was dumb. Yeah, you gotta I overthought that one. Gotta crank the freedom up to 11. You gotta really, the, the fattiest, like unhealthiest animal, you gotta throw it whole on some type of pit. And that's what freedom's about, so. Yeah, bad move. Don't do chicken. Listen, this- or If you do, have some other things to go with it, like other types of meat where chicken isn't the only meat. This 4th of July, if you think to yourself, what would Sam Pittman do? I think that's a pretty mm. good governing principle. I think we know what the boss hog would do. I think we know, yeah. Um, let's go with um, let's go with this one from Jeff Williams. We'll do two more here. Jeff says, my dog once hid in the shower due to fireworks. We have a big show over the pond in my neighborhood. Does being in the shower eliminate noise? I mean, it makes you feel Or is it just safe. because it's behind a curtain? Yeah, because it's like behind a curtain. Mm -hmm. In theory, that would make you feel safe. Under a bed would probably be a better spot, if you ask me. But then again, I've never been a dog. Can't really speak to that. I can't. Mm -hmm. But a shower is better than just sitting there in the open, being exposed to all that noise. I got to think, too, I would love to know, this, this is like not really related to that, but just how loud certain things sound to animals. Mm -hmm. I've always wondered that. There's probably an app where you can figure that out, of like why animals react a certain way to sound like even just the the most subtle thing and why it freaks them out so much like there'll be times where like the the dishwasher changes and rudy all of a sudden just freaks out mm -hmm. and loses his mind and scampers off you're just like 
what's going on in your ears? Why, why, do, why do I not hear that same sort of thing that you do? And how much more sensitive are you to that? Well, if you're from a wild or like an animal period, it's like everything is pretty much designed to kill you in the wild. So you got to think like, how could this kill me? Whereas like, like Walter, same thing. He'll be like, oh my gosh, what's going on? I was thinking, buddy, you've lived here for like five years. Like, what do you, what's new? Like, like cats specifically will like think that everything is a, a conspiracy to actually hurt them. It's like, ha, ah, I knew it. That's dishwashers. This is the time. It's going to kill me. It's like, no. No. Yeah. Dishwasher, probably not going to get you, but good to be on the defense. Right. Stay woke. All right. Stay woke. <laughs> Derek Walden says, uh, we'll usually have a cookout with some friends, but for actual fireworks, they put on a show over the lake. Cookout is in a big field in the middle of nowhere, so we take some fireworks and set them off up there. A couple years ago, one of the, the mortars fell over and shot in the direction of the crowd. Did I say that wrong? That didn't feel right. Mortar, that's right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Crushed it. No one got hit. One hit in the chair in front of me. Uh, but didn't hit us, luckily. Back in the day, we had bottle rocket fights. Oh boy. Uh, those hurt when they hit your shin. As for my dogs, my boxer Sonny was okay with him with them uh, his first year. After that, for some reason, he hates them. We'll leave them uh, with my parents while we go watch the show, and he jumps in their laps. The Yorkie Herschel, wonder how you name your dogs, um, has never been a fan of them, but he doesn't freak out as badly as Sony. This is him, uh, the last time we took him with us, and yet those, yes, those are uh, cutoff jorts I made for a redneck July 4th celebration. Let's and go, man. Sure. Yeah. That's that's not a lap dog. <laughs> that's not. <laughs> that's, that's a big old dog to have on the lap, you know? We, but hey, do what you gotta do on 4th of July, by any means necessary. Oh. Gotta protect the loved ones, make sure everybody has as good of a time as possible. We've had some good, some really good posts here, man. This is among this Derek Walden post. You got a picture of a dog. You got some jorts. You got a redneck Fourth of July. The dog. There's a dog named Herschel. A dog named Sony. Each word that I read brought me like you know two percent more joy. To the end, I was just beaming. So with, this is the type of contribution we love to see here. Let's. Let's end with this one from Drew Page. Drew says, usually hate big crowds of people and love doing it with friends. Last year we all got together, played cornhole, my friend shotgun beers like Stone Cold Steve Austin and we shot off fireworks. Honestly, a great time. And he's got the video of the shotgun. Over under two beers that you have shotgun in the last five years. Oh gosh. I, well, okay. So I went to a UCF tailgate last year and probably that was my first tailgate since college like because covid happened and everything so like right i i bet i bet i put down probably more than that in that one sitting but if you take that out under i think yeah you can count that that's perfectly fine yeah i think i've only shotgun one in the last five years mm -hmm. that was definitely definitely more of a, a of a college type thing right yeah i did i did one at my brother's bachelor party on like the ninth hole or maybe it was on the 19th hole I don't mean that as like an actual joke. We played 27 holes of golf that day. There was an actual 27. <laughs> I didn't you hit on 27. Like. Yeah. Well, I mean, you play you play the 18, and then you're like, hey, let's let's play nine more. Let's, oh, you know. I'm pro. 18. I'm stupid. That's all right. I'm sorry. Yeah. You're not a golf guy. You're a fireworks guy. That's okay. That is a fact. You can put that on my gravestone right there. Yes. Uh, let's do lad of the week. I got one. Mm -hmm. Let's go one. Um, Travion Williams, former AM tailback, guy who had 2,000 scrimmage yards in 2018, one of the most underappreciated SEC seasons of the last decade, if you ask me. Oh, He's right. got a new venture. 
my, I bet a lot of people saw this. He went on the uh, the Your Potential is Everything podcast, shared that he'll be going back to AM, co teaching a class on NIL, college athletics, and athlete advocacy. Uh, class is going to be in the spring. He's still going to be with the Bengals. He's entering year four. I am still convinced that he would be one of those guys who would be really, really good if he got that opportunity. And he would be that guy that everybody in your fantasy league would go to the waiver wire and pick up. And you'd be like, oh, Trayvon Williams. He actually does a lot of different things for you. Mm -hmm. But love to see a dude at age 24 recognizing that he has a unique perspective to be able to kind of grow personally, be able to play a role in the future of NIL. Uh, much like I talked about with Keith Marshall when we had him on a couple of months ago, just recognizing that opportunity that's available. Yeah, good dude though overall. They A and M, and I'll give them you know we we joke about them, but I'll give them credit. They've done a really 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 good job of supporting their former athletes and getting guys back involved with the program. And some of the guys they have on staff, some of the guys like that, like they really take care of you out there. And it's super cool that he's coming back and teaching those kids because dude feels like you need a whole separate degree right now to navigate. Even as weird yeah. as the landscape used to be, it feels like it's getting weirder by the day. Yeah, a lot of lot of pro players, former pro players, former college players, big time college players are are, are doubling back and get involved in the space. And we talked about that a lot with with Aaron Murray and what he's been able to do as well. Um, reminder: no pods next week. Mm -hmm. I'll be on vacation. Hope everyone has a safe and happy Fourth of July. Leave us a five star review. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name read on air with figuring it out or bold and brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.